With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. 56% of job seekers say their biggest challenge is finding a job that matches their qualifications, according to an Express Employment Professionals Harris Poll survey. The job search can be a lonely process, but Express Employment Professionals can be your one connection to finding a job that fits. Each year, hundreds of thousands of people find work through their local Express office. Find the location near you at ExpressPros.com. With no fees for job seekers, visit ExpressPros.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. We are joined now by former Ole Miss football coach Hugh Freeze, who's conducting and doing with us now. I appreciate you joining us, Coach. His first public interview since uh, what went down at Ole Miss. And before we get into a lot of those details, Coach, I, I know that you are a huge college football fan and spent a lot of time watching all the games that took place on Monday. What did you see in the in the playoff games? What did you see watching football all day long? Clay, I, I watched every game. Uh, if, if they were on at the same time, I, I had the others recording and would get ahead in one and go back to the other. And I think I saw every play of every game on Monday. And I just I love college football. I love the, uh, the atmosphere that it provides for so many universities and their fan bases and the competitiveness and this playoff uh, and New Year's Six games are just incredible to watch. And I mean, when I'm sitting there, I'm obviously this this past off season not being involved in the game. I'm always looking for things that I think could improve me should I get uh, another opportunity. And everybody's got something that uh, whether it's a situation or whether it's a, a new scheme or something they're they're doing that I think I can adapt and and put into our stuff. So. Uh, the Rose Bowl was an incredible, you know, game to witness, and I know sitting there live in that atmosphere had to be phenomenal. I've got some, uh, I've got some good friends that are Georgia fans, and uh, and they were texting through the game and uh, asking my opinion on things, and they were quite concerned early on with that off- offensive output of, of Oklahoma. But uh, happy for Kirby and happy for Nick, uh, two good friends and uh, and great coaches and, and great programs. What do you think it means for the SEC to have another all-SEC national title game? Well, it's, it just speaks to the, you know, the thing is it just means more. And, and while some people would uh, say that the SEC, you know, had a down year, and maybe that's true, I really don't know how to quantify that. Um, um, certainly the, the upper echelon of, of the programs this year Two of them are playing for the national championship, so I think it just speaks to the uh, the, the level of, of grind. I don't know how I could make it anyone understand how hard it is to go through this schedule um, with injuries and, and everyone is good enough to beat you on a given day, particularly outside of Alabama and Georgia this year, maybe Auburn. You know, everyone was uh, was really competitive and um, so it, it just proves again that two of the best teams uh, can't say that the league was as best this year. I don't know, but but two of the best teams in the nation are certainly from from that league. So speaks volumes. We're talking to Hugh Freeze, and I'm going to kind of run all the way up to the present day and talk with you about what you got going on and what the last year and six months and so of your life has been like. But I want to go back for people out there listening right now to Hugh Freeze. It's 1992. 
you are graduating from Southern Miss, I believe, with a bachelor degree in math and a minor in coaching and sports administration. If I had told you in 1992, if I'd been able to go back in time, that's when Bill Clinton's running, I believe, for the first time against George Bush to kind of put that into context for everybody out there and told you you're going to be a head football coach in the SEC. Would you have believed it? Oh, Clay, that was certainly my goal. I actually told my wife uh, on our honeymoon uh, in 1992, um, standing in Neyland Stadium, that I would be uh, one day would be a, a head coach at an SEC program, and she she foolishly believed me. <laughs> she. So wait, let's, let me pa- let me pause really you there for dream had passed. Let me pause you there for a minute. You're on your yeah. honeymoon. And you, I, I think I've read this story. You went into Neyland Stadium. You snuck in, and you told your wife you're at this time what, like 22, 23 years old, and on your honeymoon you're stopping. Old, okay, so you're stopping old, by. And, uh, Tell me that story. She was, she was nervous we were going to get arrested or something for uh, for there was a gate that was open and we just kind of uh, slid in and and walked down on the field there and we were in Gatlinburg on our on our honeymoon and. I wanted to see Neyland Stadium. I was a Tennessee. I was a pretty big Tennessee fan, um, and so we we walked in, and you know, I just told her that I said that one day I'm gonna I'm gonna be a head coach in the SEC program, and she believed me then. And so in '92, you go to work and and start that dream, and you work at Briarcrest, uh, which is a school in Memphis, private school. And and later, you'd get somebody playing you in the movie, uh, The Blind Side. That's where Michael Orr was. At uh, and and what was your training at that point to become a head football coach? Like in 1992, what knowledge basis did you bring to the equation when you started becoming a high school assistant coach? Well, I was raised uh, my my two options you know, that I always saw as, as, as reasonable for me were either coaching or farming. Uh, I was raised on a farm and my dad was part owner in the farm and also a high school football coach. And those were the only two things I knew. And, uh, I, I knew from an early age, I did not want to farm. So coaching was a, a natural, natural gravitation for me. And man, the biggest influences in my life were, were my high school coaches and, whether it was baseball, basketball, football, I just, you know, in that community that I was raised in, you know, the the coach was, whatever he said was, was the gospel. And, you know, and that's the way I was raised in my home. And if coach says this, then that's what you do. And, and I saw the impact that those coaches had on people. And in particular, um, kids that didn't have as much as, as I was blessed to have, even though I don't think we were a wealthy family, we were blessed. And I saw the impact that those coaches had, and it uh, it was just something that, man, I want to do that. And um, that's what I set my sights on early. I knew when I went to college that's what I wanted to do. So um, I was just looking for the first opportunity that I had uh, coming out of college. And I think you were there for, is it 12 years at Briarcrest? I was there uh, 13 football seasons. Uh, I left. Uh, I left in the spring of my 13th year there. So eventually, that turned into a big story about Michael Orr. What did you think about the actor they had to play you in the movie? I hope I'm not as goofy as he was in the movie. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I think that, uh, and I certainly don't carry my cell phone on the sideline um, for for people to call during games, but. You know, the story was, you know, I wasn't uh, crazy about the guy that played me, but the, the the main theme of the story is that, man, a family like the Tui family uh, put their faith in action, and, and they didn't just sit back. They made a difference in someone's life. And, and it, uh, man, you know, the more of us that are willing to do those things and to make an impact on people, you know, it changes people's lives forever. And um, that's what the story is really about. So it really didn't matter how they betrayed me. You went to Ole Miss from Briarcrest. You're there for a couple of years as a tight end. You, by the way, you had a lot of success coaching uh, high school football at Briarcrest. You go to Ole Miss. Uh, I think people are familiar with Ole Miss. We'll come back to that. But then you go to a place called Lambeth. What was it like coaching at Lambeth? 
Well, I tell you, if, if I can go back just a minute, the, the 13 years at Briarcliff, I really thought my dream had passed of being a college football coach. And, and But the one person that never forgot that was my wife. And she just had told me for three years, you, you're, you're losing your fire. You're losing the edge here. You need to go take an opportunity. I don't care what it is. Go, go get your foot in the door. And, you know, we had had kids at the time, and our daughters, Reagan, Jordan, and Madison, were were growing and you know you say i can't go be a ga now well she just kept on and she was right and then finally i just uh, i found um ed orgeron who i'm indebted to gave me an opportunity to be and kind of just an off the field uh, i took a sixty thousand dollar pay cut and so what did you make that first first job at at old miss 40 i think it was forty two thousand Forty-two thousand. You got three girls. Yep. You said uh, you got a wife. Yep. Uh, it's not. It's, I mean, there's a lot of people out there listening to us right now who know what it's like to suddenly take a big pay cut and have to uh, to make do. But you were kind of investing in yourself, uh, and you went to work for Coach Ed Ogeron, and then you do that for a couple of years, and then you end up at Lambeth. How much do they pay you to yeah. coach at Lambeth? Actually, you you won't believe there was a there was a guy in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Who owns Franklin American Mortgage? His name's Dan Crockett, and um, he took an interest in my hire there, and paid me a salary, I believe, of a hundred thousand dollars, which was, you know, probably almost three times what the previous coach was getting there. I think it was actually like one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. So he paid your um, salary as a as a booster, basically, to come coach at Lambeth. He. he he, the university was in trouble, and he gave the money to fund the salaries of the foot. I, I don't know if it all came from him or some came from the university, but I do know that he was involved in, in, in making ends meet uh, for a period of time that we were there. And when I went there and saw the, the lack of facilities, the lack of things that they had, uh, man, it was just – but I saw the team working out, and I just – I told Jill that she was with me then, and I said, I, man, they have nothing here, and I want to see if we can come here and make a difference and win. And, man, I had two great years there, other than we didn't get paid for five months. Our staff didn't, and that was kind of uh, difficult to go through for the families that you brought there. But, but, man, we had a blast coaching ball there, and I think we won 22 games there in two years. It, it was fun. Coach Hugh Freeze with us here. He's going to hang with us through uh, this break as we move into hour two. We started a little bit early with him, and I thought, why not go back and figure out exactly how Hugh Freeze got to the point where he became the head coach at Ole Miss. So I appreciate him joining us a little bit early here. He's going to stick with us. He's going to be with us now as we move into hour two and get into NCAA issues, issues in his own personal life. What does he want to do next? All that on OutKick next. Be sure to catch live editions of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Former Ole Miss football coach Hugh Freeze is with us. He hasn't talked to the media uh, or the press, really, certainly not in a public setting like this, uh, since he was fired as Ole Miss's football coach. And and I gave you a last segment, a little bit of background. Uh, Hugh Freeze joining us. I appreciate him coming up uh, early in the morning with us here, uh, talking about how he got uh, his start in coaching. And let's go ahead and skip ahead to Ole Miss. You get that job. You fulfilled that dream that you had walking into Neyland Stadium, told your wife you were going to be a head football coach one day in the SEC. Bang, you've got it. What did it feel like that day? Um, euphoric. I mean, just uh, overwhelming um, feeling. Um, so blessed. And and just like, is this really happening? And, um, you know, to be able to share it with my wife and kids and my mom and dad, and my brother and sister, who all, you know, are from North Mississippi and so many dear friends that I have and and, and to have Archie Manning back and you and Mike Glenn, the, the, those two people who were the, really the search committee then. Uh, I mean, I just remember, Clay, having a very difficult time um, taking it all in and, and really feeling, man, am I really uh, worthy of of this opportunity and 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 can I get it done? You know, I'd been able to to get it done at Lambeth and at Arkansas State, uh, two programs that hadn't won a lot. 
Um, but this was a whole nother deal because I was very familiar with the SEC, in particular the West, that Ole Miss played in and and that they hadn't won an SEC game in two seasons and all of that. And it was uh, it was it was quite overwhelming day feeling both blessed and uh oh, can can I really can I really make a difference here and, and win? And so you go to Ole Miss, and that's after doing a, a year at Arkansas State where you went 10-2. and two. You win seven games in year one. You win eight in year two, nine in year three, ten in year four, and you win the Sugar Bowl and finish uh, with an incredible run there. And then uh, your last year at Ole Miss in 2016, you go five and seven. Now, a lot happens over the course of that tenure, and that's why I think your story becomes – kind of so fascinating, and not only fascinating in the world of sports, but also for people out there who do a variety of things in their life. Uh, no matter what your profession is, no matter what it's like as a husband or a wife or a dad or a mom, grandma, grandpa, everybody has different roles throughout the course of their life. What, you said you were kind of overwhelmed when you get the job there, and then you start to have really success. You bring in a lot of recruits. Was there a moment in time where you started to think, Man, I got everything figured out. <laughs> you know, I think pride is a uh, is a subtle enemy that uh, doesn't just come saying here I am. And while if you were to get, I think most of my friends to describe me, they they would say the guy's pretty much stayed the same as he's always been. But there is no doubt in my mind um, that. Um, the first few years at, at Ole Miss, um, I, I struggled with with subtle attacks of of maybe thinking, you know, I've got this all figured out, and man, we've won seven, we've won eight, and we've won nine, and uh, we'll just keep doing this and 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 keep winning. There was, I had someone tell me when when I took this job um, after our first year that, you know what. Hugh, you've you've lost uh, something that you probably will never regain. And I said, "What is that?" And he he said, "Normalcy." And I, I had no idea really what he was saying. And he's a mentor of mine, and continues to be to this day. But um, it, it's just, um, man, there's no way I can describe how a guy like me. Um, could be totally prepared for a job like the SEC, and I thought I was, and that was pride in, a, in and of itself. And I was in many facets. Um, but then the attack started from our success, and and obviously we'll talk later about uh, an issue I was dealing with in my personal life also, but the, the attack started, and man, I didn't know how to handle that, Clay. I had never experienced that. And um, I, I know now, and, and I would handle it differently now. And, and I start, and I tell you that the biggest sign to me that I was struggling with some pride is I cared way too much about what people would say. What's and that really, like? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that's that, that's interesting because I think for a lot of people out there, regardless of what they do for a living. Um, especially in a social media age and with everybody, like it's easy to Google your name. It's easy to figure out what people are saying about you. And we'll get to the NCAA investigation here in a minute. But when you start hearing people say, and, and Hugh Freeze is a fraud, Hugh Freeze yeah. is a fake, Hugh Freeze is a liar. Like these are attacks on you and they're from people you don't know and you can't necessarily respond and defend yourself to them. But it takes a really thick skin to get used to it. And I don't know necessarily that others out there who aren't in the public eye really think about it that much. What did you find that experience to be like where, you know, you may have critics when you're a head coach at Briarcrest in Memphis, but most of them, you know, right? I mean, you can go talk to them directly and say, Hey, I understand you didn't like that play call. I didn't understand you didn't like the way that I decided to use your kid in that game. And it's a smaller circle. And then as your circle of, uh, of influence expands, there's a lot fewer people that you can talk to to kind of figure out what's going on. What was that experience like for you to suddenly be right, I would say, you know, right into the fire, so to speak, of major SEC competition? Yeah, it. Um, I, I obviously cared too much about it, and, and you would read or hear or your kids would read or hear or, or your wife 
uh, something that um, is not accurate or, or not true. And it was difficult, and it was, uh, and, and I made it worse by some of the decisions that I made. And um, you know, I had a, a national media guy that writes for the USA Today tell me tell me that, and and he was right. I didn't I didn't uh, know it at the time, or, and then my agents always told me that. And but but I've always thought, well, man, I can get along with anybody if they just get to know me, and I know how I do things, and I know that I'm not going to cross certain lines. And now I have in my personal life, or or that was a while ago, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But um, And all of that was going on internally with me, and I'm still seeing great things. I know that our program is good for kids, and it's making a difference in them, and we're winning games, and we're building, and working for people like Ross Bjork was, was awesome. And um, but yet I'm, I'm struggling with why, why is this attack like this? And certainly, you know, we're beating Georgia and Alabama and, and LSU and A&M and Texas and, and things that maybe Ole Miss is not supposed to be doing in a lot of people's eyes nationally, even though I think recruiting to Ole Miss is, is something that is not as hard as people imagine. But, it was very difficult for me to comprehend all of that, and I had not I had not dealt with that at Arkansas State or Briarcrest or Lambeth at all, and and obviously was not uh, as prepared as I should be. And it's one reason I have such great admiration for Nick Saban and and the, some of these guys that uh, really, man, his focus is so lasered on on the process for his team that he really doesn't care. Um, about uh, what people are saying and what they're thinking. And, and this year away from it, and while I'm still having to hear a lot of things that um, certainly some is justified, some is not exactly accurate, but um, I have gotten a lot better about, you know what, my wife and my kids and my circle, my, my inner circle, and if I'm fortunate enough to have a team again, that those are the ones that really matter. And... Hey. Uh, and not all of the other, but didn't. I wish I could redo that for sure. And one of the things you did was you sent out a tweet saying, "Hey, if you think we've done anything wrong, turn it into Ole Miss compliance." And then that blows yeah. up. Was social media good or bad for you? Do you think bad? Um, I think there's there's been a lot of good things that have happened from it, and, and I don't get on it and check it near as much as I used to, or, or even read responses. I'll, I'll send something out every now and then, but. Um, it just was uh, that was not a, a smart move there and genuinely Clay I, I was I was being very genuine because I talked to my AD I said man if something's happening you know we need to know it and um, boy that that really snowballed into uh, something that that I wish it uh, I wish I would not have had sent that out but I genuinely wanted um, the truth of that if if there was something that someone knew um I will say social media, I created a, an account this past year and put it out on social media for an email for my former players. And many other people have used that email. And, man, I, I've had some really neat conversations with people, uh, some who really uh, weren't very fond of me uh, but wanted to have an opportunity to just talk with me. And I think uh, there's been some neat, neat conversations through that and then man, to be able to I wrote a letter to every former player of mine to um, just to, to reconnect the all the way back to Briarcrest and man, some of the encouragement I got from them of what our program meant to them and how we did it has just fueled me. How and, many uh, how many notes was that? It's gotta be how many notes did I write? Yeah. I wrote one note to and sent it to every former player. I mean, that has to be hundreds of people, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's anyone who who made contact on that email I sent to, and it's it's well over. I would say over two fifty. Yeah. So so you obviously loved coach. We're talking to Ole Miss uh, former Ole Miss head football coach Hugh Freeze. And you're having a lot of success on the field, but you're at Ole Miss, and like you said, you ran off a lot of the teams that you guys are beating, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Texases of the world. 
that Ole Miss has traditionally not beaten. And there starts to be a lot of drum beats of impropriety. Ole Miss is doing things other people are not doing. The NCAA has investigated this, and, and I do think this is in, in worth discussing because you know this case better than just about anybody. What did, And now they've come back with their rulings. What did the NCAA find that you personally had done, and what kind of penalties, if any, did they levy against you? Yeah, they, they for five years, have you know investigated uh, our program thoroughly, and, and the findings that they found against me personally were, were just that I did not monitor booster activity um, in particularly with two staff members um, that, w- that were on my staff and um, that's that's the only finding they found against me there was no uh, individual charge of anything um, that I did uh, that was that was impermissible or wrong but something I didn't do and that's that I did not monitor closely enough um, some of the booster activity with with in regards to our staff uh, the penalty is uh, a two-game suspension if I'm a head coach somewhere and in, in for two conference games and how long would that penalty as a head coach last is that for years uh, just, ahead as many just years this season just uh, this season what if, if I'm not now there is no penalty if I'm not a head coach Okay, so you could be an offensive coordinator anywhere in the country. I could be an offensive coordinator with no penalty because, again, their finding was that they actually said that uh, their exact words of the committee were that he he was his his uh, compliance efforts were very admirable, and um, so they they felt they they ruled that I did promote an atmosphere of compliance, but that I failed um, in a mitigated way in monitoring. Um, the the booster activity. So um, it's the the only chart. The only penalty would be if I'm in a position of head coach monitoring for this season. After this season, it goes away. There's no penalty, and there's no penalty this year to be you know an assistant of some type. Okay, so what's it like to be under the microscope from the NCAA for as you said five years? What does that feel like? It uh, it took a toll on me that uh, like nothing has before, and not just me. Uh, certain the, the program and and uh, the administration and the fans. It's uh, it's something. Uh, if you've ever had anything, and those that are listening to us, if you've ever had anything that every single day it is on your mind and it doesn't bring pleasant thoughts and it brings angst and it brings worry and it brings anxiety. If that's what it was like the entire time. It was never a day that um, that Ross and I didn't talk about it, or I didn't talk to compliance about it, or a recruit about it, or your staff about it, or your wife about it. It it, it took a uh, it took a toll on on a lot of people and and on the program. You know, we were able to to recruit uh, very well even under the microscope. I thought, but. But we missed on some key people, and a lot of it was due to the fact that we couldn't give them great answers on exactly what the end end result would be. And and it took, I think it's it's taken a toll on on the program. Coach, a lot of people out there listening to us right now are probably saying, "Yeah, but this is Ole Miss. They're bringing in great players: Laramie Tunsil, Laquan Treadwell. Uh, they're winning games, like you said. They're beating teams that maybe they shouldn't have beaten or hadn't beaten in past years. Beat Nick Saban in Alabama back to back years." beat Texas, uh, beat the Georgias of the world. How much of this has to do with you being at Ole Miss in terms of all the scrutiny? How much of that had to do with Ole Miss just not having done it before, with you doing it, frankly, with recruits that typically hadn't gone to Ole Miss? Well, certainly winning uh, draws the, the attention, but I think the, the bottom line is whether you won or lost is is did we and, – and, and like you say, if you, if you lost, uh, you're probably not going to get – um, the the criticism or the or the raised eyebrows or whatever we we call it, but the bottom line is really did we do right or did we not? And and you know I was the the facts are that I I was a leader of a program that was found to have some things done in it that was that were not permissible, and 
you know, anyone can go read those, and I have to be accountable for that. And I think, and our university has to be accountable for that, and believe that that we were being accountable in in the in the things that we self-imposed, and and really believe that that we um, were accountable in those areas to to self-impose things for where things were found to be impermissible or uh, to have crossed boundaries somewhere. And so, you know, I can't, there's no way I can sit here and tell you today anything but the truth. And the truth is that there were some things throughout that five-year process that were found to, to be, you know, impermissible. That's the professional side of your life. And professionally, you are a football coach, but also... Yeah a job like yours is almost impossible at times to enter, to disconnect the personal and the private, right? Because you're a football coach and you're also a dad and you're a husband and you got three kids as part of that. It's almost like politics is war by any other name. Uh, your personal life also then gets involved in the overall investigation with the NCAA. Yeah. But you had already kind of, uh, I believe, addressed issues in your own personal life, your own marriage, your own family relationship before it all went public. And I'm not going to get into the, all the specifics. I got a wife, you got a wife, lots of people out there listening, got wives, husbands, everything else. But yeah. you had already tried to address in your family, the mistakes that you had made in your marriage and in your fa family life before it ever went public. What can you tell me about that? Well, it's, uh, uh, the biggest, um, uh, you know, regret of my life is, is that um, I crossed a boundary that uh, that did not honor my wife totally, and um, or my family, or my friends, or my who I am. I mean, I've, I worked really hard for a large portion of my life to build a name that's, that's based on certain things, and you know, while I, I fully know and even even know better now that. In any marriage, I mean, if we, Jill and I, have been able to talk to a lot of marriages. There's, there's, you go through problems, and you know, we're certainly no exception. But I caused this one uh, by by making, you know, decisions that that were not honoring to my wife, and I knew that, and it uh, troubled me greatly, and that's why, yeah, months, months earlier, before this became public knowledge. I had already confessed this to two dear friends and uh, Chad Spencer and Ben Crane, who are two of my accountability guys. And they began to help me walk through that and make sure that I was held to a standard where that's not part of who I am. And um, a few months after I made them aware of it, I, I told Jill also that I, that, uh, I hadn't honored her. And that was uh, very difficult, like, it was uh, something I never want to do again, and uh, it was uh, it was hard. And I, and then to have to tell your kids that is uh, is very difficult. And so but, I think you but could never hear knew it. it would go public. I thought yeah, it was, and, I thought and, it was and, over with. You know that is that is I think a really important part here, and we're talking to Hugh Freeze. I mean. You're a dad of three daughters. You've got a wife. Um, you have a private life. You like every person out there have not have done things in your life that you're not happy about that, that don't live up to your religious faith or whatever moral standards you might have. And you had confronted that in your own private life. You'd talk to your wife, you'd confessed even to your friends and certainly to your family and your daughters. Uh, and then and also in the pit of your stomach, though, you have to be thinking, man, I screwed up but I hope this doesn't go public. It's embarrassing for you, but I can say personally as a dad, you wouldn't even be that concerned about yourself at that point. I know the way I think, and I think there's a lot of dads and moms out there also. You think, man, I hope my kids don't have to go through the stupid mistakes that their dad made suddenly getting blown up and becoming front page news, and then yeah. it happens. What was it like mm. living with that knowledge in the pit of your stomach, even if you had done it privately, and even if you were good and working to make your family as, as, as tight as they can be, going forward what was it like to have that hanging over your head while you're in such a public job uh, I, I can't i can't even uh describe the the, the misery uh, it's uh, and not just i mean for your kids to have to see 
you know, I, I told my wife long before and, and a couple of my friends, you know, um, you, you live with that fear that, man, you know, that, that your sins could find you out. And um, even though I knew I'd handled it the right way and was experiencing victory and not uh, not crossing boundaries that, that I shouldn't be crossing. And, uh, but then when it goes public and, man, you have to look your kids in the eyes again and, and your wife in the eyes again because they didn't sign up for the, the public life. And, and not only that, um, it, the hurt that you cause players and their families and the, and the university that stood with you because of the way you ran a program through, through un, unbelievable scrutiny in the NCAA case. And they had stood with me and, and, um, you know, and I wish we could have stood together through this, but we were under such scrutiny and I just, I, my past put them in a bad spot. Where and, uh, were you when you found out that this might go public? Well, Ross came to me and Ross is your athletic director, Ross Bjork yeah, at uh, Ole Miss. Yeah, Ross Bjork came to me whenever this, this phone number was found by whoever found it and, it was in a lawsuit the Houston Nut had filed, and then somebody's going through all these phone records, and and then they come to you, and, and what, what does that feel like when that, that conversation takes place? Well, my heart just sank, and, and but I, I, my dad had always told me, you own what you did, and, you know, there's been a lot of people that told me I, I shouldn't have, uh, I shouldn't have done, you know, been this transparent, but that's all, you know, that's what my dad had always taught me, and. I believe in, in doing that's what I've taught my kids. And so when Ross came to me and and to, to inquire about it, I said, uh, I don't know specifically anything about that number, but I, I will tell you what I've done in my past. And and so I shared with him, you know, everything I owned, what I'd done, and, and knew that uh, and told him then I expect, you know, now that it's gone public, I would expect discipline from you. I, I get that. I understand it. But I want you to know that I have dealt with it and, um, you know, with my wife and, and others. But I do understand. And I put you in a tough spot again, you know, and you stood with me and you're in a tough spot. And I would expect discipline and was hopeful that, that, uh, that we may could get through it, but uh, again, I put them in a, I put them in a tough spot with all the scrutiny that we already had, and and so. You know, when did you find out that you weren't going to get to keep your feet. job at Ole Miss? I'm sorry. When did you find out that you weren't going to get to keep your job at Ole Miss? Did he tell you then, or was it a phone call, or how did you become no, aware? Um, it was the, I believe, two days later, um, in in the chance at the chancellor's house. And so I, I, I always, and I'm just kind of curious on this. He calls you and he says, can you come meet with me? The chancellor does. And then he delivers the news face to face. And if that's what happened, what did that feel like in that moment? Uh, like my whole world had uh, just uh, crashed in on me, you know, and just, I knew that we would, I knew, you know, I, I knew that we would make it as a family because it wasn't new to us. Uh, some of it was was new to my kids. Uh, I want to be careful and, and be very transparent, as, you know, because you don't tell your kids everything that you tell your wife. But I knew that uh, I would have to tell them, um, you know, a little more than I'd already told them. But um, you just feel like I knew that our our family would would make it through. We're strong and, and we have faith in each other. And again, we had already been walking through things. Um, but man, you immediately think, man, I've worked hard, and I know that I I know outside of this personal decision, I know that we run a good program and we do good things for kids and we mentor them well. And the staff I had were tremendous men um, that are doing good things for kids too. And um, and you just think in that moment, you're like, oh, this this changes everything, and. Um, it was a, a job that, again, on my honeymoon, deemed as man a dream to to be a head coach in this conference, and because of uh, a personal failing and a personal decision that 
that I made. Um, I, I forfeited that opportunity for this time being, and it was just a, I mean, my friends came to the house that night, and, um, you know, were incredibly supportive, but when you got to look your mom and dad in the eye and, and tell them, uh, that's tough. It's not easy. Coach, what has the last year been like for you as you've dealt with all the fallout from your personal and professional failings? Um, the letters and emails from my former players have been a, a huge encouragement to me that, man, Coach, you're, you you got to get back in it. You, you're, you're, you, you changed my life. You, you did this. I mean, the, I can't tell you how much the encouragement uh, from those guys has been uh, my my community here. I have two different small groups of men uh, of men that uh, that are doing life together. They've been incredible. And, man, our family has been just uh, just so steadfast, and and then the friends. And I tell you, the community. I know that there are people that are hurt, and that I've hurt, and and are still struggling to process everything that that has happened. And they love their university, and they're passionate about it. And, and uh, I've asked the Ole Miss family to to forgive me, but I'm certain that there are some that that still would struggle um, to do that, and I understand it. I get it. Um, but I haven't. Man, here in this community, they have supported my kids. We chose to stay here because of my kids. I wanted to leave, but uh, my daughter was captain of a volleyball team and um in her senior year and so we stayed and the, the the Oxford community has been incredibly supportive uh, as has the church here at Pine Lake remembers that and so the support has been really really good you immediately play find out who your real friends are um and whether it's in the coaching world or whether it's uh or whether it's just you know people that uh they were around you because of a title you had. You you find out that quickly, and um, when people in the coaching world won't return your calls or your text anymore, you you, you kind of know uh, well that they were friends with you. But I've had some incredible ones. I'm telling you, uh, you know, from Coach Saban to Coach uh, Miles on to Brett Bielema, Gary Patterson, Larry Fedora, and those, those Barry Odom. Those guys have, have checked on me throughout this whole deal, and I know they've got better things to do. And there's more. I shouldn't start naming names because I, I forget somebody. But um, the encouragement I've re- we've received as a family, in particular from my wife and kids and myself, too, but it has been incredible. Now, being outside of football has been brutal. It's uh, you, you struggle to find. Uh, you feel like there's there's a purpose missing in your life. And I don't know how to feel that yet. Um, I was able to, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody to say, well, it was me and to sit back and, and I'm a guy that believes hey, man, the blessings ahead are always greater than the battle that's behind you. And you cannot look in the rear view mirror and you know what it's, I've made peace with my past and owned it and I've been accountable for it and paid, paid a hell of a price for it from, for the things I didn't do right. Um, but even though my situation and status as a, as a coach is unresolved right now, I assure you, I'm totally resolved. I'm resolved to be a better husband, father, coach, mentor, friend, colleague. And so I just took on that attitude. And, and while some don't understand how can he get past this so fast, again, they don't, they don't really understand this is been a two-year deal for me it didn't just happen in july and so you know i don't want to offend anyone but i've got to get past it and i've been dealing with it for a long time maybe not in the public eye and so i just started man i started actually playing golf with uh, some older guys some elderly men and man had a blast with those guys and then tried to just really dive into trying to help um the, the people that I've coached throughout the years because you wouldn't believe the number of people that are dealing with struggles. And, and that's you know one what? of the things. If, if my struggle can help them get through it, I, I want to use that. 
one of the things people would say, I know you want to get back into coaching, and you'd love to be an offensive coordinator somewhere on the sidelines or a head coach somewhere as, as soon as you could. And one of the things that people are going to say if they don't want you to succeed is they're going to say, how in the world is Hugh Freeze going to go into a living room and persuade a mom, a grandma, a dad, a grandpa, whoever he's got to in that family, a, a significant caregiver, that their son should go play football for Hugh Freeze? That's something you're going to have to answer. What would you say to those critics? Man, I think I'm going to be better at it than I ever was. Um, I, I can't tell you. There, there's very few homes that I've ever gone into that that family is not dealing with some type of issue or some type of failure or some type of struggle. And I think sometimes we are looked at and, and you know, and people had looked at me like, well, this guy, you know, his morals are, are outstanding and, and all of whatever people thought of me. Or and now because I you wore your religion on your you wore your religion on your sleeve and yeah and and and, and, and you know what and Clay is as real as my faith is and and I know there's a lot of people that say it's not my faith is very very real but so was my struggle and it's possible to have both that's why I need faith is because I'm not perfect and um, but man to be able to go into a home now and say. Let me tell you about this coach I'm coaching for if I'm an assistant who who just who gave me grace and a second chance. And here's why, because I'll be transparent with them. And I know your family has dealt with, with, with struggles and things. And, man, I'm prepared to help your kid through the next struggle. You think your son's not going to have struggles uh, come in his life or through his college experience? And, and now, because of mine, I'm speaking firsthand from experience. I know what it's like to have to fight and to get through a battle with your loved ones and, and to hang in there amid when all hell's coming against you. And I, I've lived it. And this university that has hired me has given me an opportunity um, to tell my story to you. And I just think through genuine, transparent communication, I think it's going to make me a better recruiter. Coach Freeze, uh, we're talking to Hugh Freeze. Have you had any conversations with coaches about potentially being offensive coordinator for them in the 2018 season? And if so, do you think it's going to happen? Um, th- there have been conversations. Uh, there, there's been no official offers made or anything like that. And, and I think they have to decide, you know, am I the right fit for them at this juncture of uh, for their university and with, with the media attention that, that uh, my hire could possibly bring? Um, and so there's been nothing official, um, but, you know, trust me, I'm, I'm, I I believe that, uh, that I have value to add to a program and I I really want to be a servant to a program and to a coach and to a university. And, and Jill and I are just praying that the right fit and the right administration and the right head coach is, is out there somewhere. And, I do believe I'll get another chance at some point. Um, I don't know how soon, and I try not to to think about that because it makes me anxious. Um, But I I do believe that when I do, um, I will be better prepared than ever to honor that position, to honor that coach that hires me, that administration that hires me, that university that hires me, and, and I have studied more offensive football than I have ever before, and we were pretty good. My five years at Ole Miss, averaging over 30 points every year. But in 29, one of those years in the SEC West, and that's pretty good. And well, that's, uh, I, I've, I've, I've dived into that stuff, and I think I've got a really good plan. Last question for you. You've been married yeah. for over 20 years. 25. 20, over 25 years. What yeah. have you learned about your wife and her toughness in being able to handle this situation? I'm so glad you asked. She's the strongest woman I, I know. Um, before this, I would have said uh, my grandmother was. Um, but uh, my wife is, is the most faithful, solid, strongest uh, individual that I know. And um, I, I am so blessed uh, to have her as my mate. And uh, she has been an encourager. And it's just unbelievable strength, unbelievable uh, resolve, 
and unbelievable belief in her husband and, and what he is and who he is and how he can and what he can be. And uh, she, she's been incredible. Coach uh, Hugh Freeze, I know it's been tough. Uh, and look, you like you said, you brought some of this, a lot of this stuff on yourself, and everybody has struggles in their life. But I also know you've been looking forward to finally being able to talk and kind of like you said, reemerge in the profession that you've chosen and that you love. And I appreciate you coming on with us today because I think that there's a lot of people out there listening to you right now who, regardless of what they do for a living, They've had their own struggles in their own life, and they may have been embarrassed and made decisions that they're not proud of. And uh, confronting them head on and being as honest as you possibly can is always my advice to everybody out there. And I got to say, I think this is as honest of an interview as we've ever had on the show, and, and you've been as straightforward as anybody can be. Well, I'm at a point in my life that's that's what I'm going to be, and you know, I am what I am, the good and the bad, and, and certainly... I wish I could take away all the bad that, uh, in particular, this this one area that that I had a period of time that I had a poor, poor lapse of judgment. I wish I could take it back, but I can't. But I can look forward, and 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 I just believe that people that have great resolve, that are accountable and own what they've done, which I, I have, and I paid a price, and um, I just believe that the failures make you stronger. And uh, and I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to fight, and and somebody's going to give me an opportunity one someday, whether it's a college, whether it's a NAI school. I, I don't. Whatever it is, uh, I'll get an opportunity one day. I'm praying, and and when I do, I, I'm going to be better. We'll have you on when you get that next job. And uh, in all honesty, I'm rooting for you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Clay. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 